to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Well, we're up to the third in our series on uh, Proverbs, and this third one is another one in the early chapters kind of uh, giving the big picture uh, about wisdom. Uh, So if you're getting a bit tired of that, uh, two things to say. The first is, from next week, we're actually getting into some of the more practical proverbs, some of the the smaller, and and it'll become suddenly much more minute and practical, so you can look forward to that. The second thing to say is Proverbs 2013. Do not love sleep or you will become poor. Uh, Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the book of Proverbs, and uh, we pray that today as we consider chapter 4, that you would indeed grow us in wisdom, make us wise for salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the striking features of life in the world we live in is the proliferation of speech, uh, the sheer volume of communication. Uh, Through our phones, computers and other devices, perhaps even now, we have access to and are awash with spoken and written communications in a way that can be truly overwhelming. Uh, We are engulfed by words. I'm sure you know what I mean. Spoken words, written words, words of advice, opinions, dummy spits, Requests, stories, tales, jokes, prayers, statements, tirades, arguments, all kinds of information. And this situation is profoundly different to what was the case only a few years ago. Until only very recently, if you didn't know something, it could actually be quite hard to find it out. Do you remember that? Do you remember that time? Uh, do you remember when you couldn't, you couldn't Google answers to questions and instead you could just have this endless argument? about who was right, Uh, I I miss those days. I was quite good at arguing without knowledge. Um, But now you just, you know, find out. You've hardly even started. And somebody says, well, it's it's this, three miles. Oh, okay. Uh, We feel the impacts of this change in other ways as well, though. Uh, And sometimes it's quite satisfying. My dad never taught me a whole lot of practical stuff. taught me lots of things, but he didn't teach me heaps of practical stuff. And so after he died... I used to feel really anxious when my mum would ask me to do something handy around the home. But now you can just watch a video on YouTube, and even I can learn to change a sink mixer tap, uh, which I have done, and now I have boasted about it. (laughs) Now this is great, uh, although I do worry about the lost opportunity for parents with their children. But this is fairly good. Although that's an instructive example, I think, because it highlights one of the biggest aspects of the change that's taken place. The disappearance of tradition. Not so long ago, you see, people looked to age for authority. Older people, by virtue of their experience and institutions and older things, tended to have wisdom. Traditions, family traditions, institutional traditions, traditional ideas needed to be respected even if you didn't understand them. You just trusted that the tradition probably had something important in it somewhere. 
But nowadays, we hardly ever think like this. If you want to know something, some fact, or if you want kind of something trustworthy, you just Google it. We might think fondly of tradition, but we no longer feel that it is necessary. Now, I reckon many of us probably feel that this is basically a good thing. Uh, After all, traditions can be stifling, restrictive, limited. Surely it's much better for everyone just to have access to the information. Tradition is also inherently conservative. It gets in the way of progress. Aren't we just better off releasing knowledge, democratising it, as it's called, freeing it from the constraints of worn-out traditions? Maybe. I think there is some truth in all of that. But we need to be careful. In the passage before us today, in Proverbs chapter 4, we hear the the voice of a father handing on tradition, handing down words of instruction to the next generation. And what it shows us is that, at its best, tradition exists to safeguard wisdom, to preserve and protect words of value, good words that are worth cherishing. I think this is an important thing for us to hear because it highlights the danger facing us today with our proliferation of communication. The danger lies in losing our grip on wisdom in a sea of endless speech of confusing access to information with the ability to get wisdom. The danger lies in fooling ourselves by thinking that if we make knowledge widely available enough, everything else will sort itself out. It's a trap of thinking that if we have many words, then we must have good words. So I think this is a valuable lesson for us because it seems to me that, in fact, it is not at all clear that our abundance of communication has made us wiser. And so we need to hear this passage from Proverbs, but not actually so that we can do some frantic return to traditions. We'll see why as we go on. But so that we can learn to do in our context the thing that matters, to cherish words of wisdom. So turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1. It's on page 628. Forgive me if I need to drink a little water. I've, I've had a cold. Overshare. Okay, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1. We hear a father speaking to his sons. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. The father is keen to make his sons understand that what he is teaching is is not just one opinion among many. No, these are good words, sound teaching, sound learning that his father before him handed down to him. Verse 3, when I was a boy in my father's house, still tender, And an only child of my mother, he taught me and said, and then he hands on the grandfather's lesson. He taught me and said, verse 4, Lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get 
Wisdom, though it cost you all you have, get understanding. Esteem her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. The point of the grandfather's lesson is to impress upon them one thing. Wisdom is what matters most in life. It is worth giving everything for because it is the source of life. From wisdom flow all the things that we truly want out of life. Wisdom matters most, says the grandfather. And this is why the father then goes on to say his son should receive his words as a most precious gift. For they are words of wisdom. Verse 10. Listen, my son, accept what I say and the years of your life will be many. I guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. The father's instruction, his words, contain wisdom. And so they are of the greatest value, for they will keep his son on the right path. Wisdom is what will keep you traveling through life in the right way, on straight paths. And the only alternative, the father goes on to say now, is the way of wickedness. Verse 14, do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Don't travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way, for they cannot sleep till they do evil. They're robbed of slumber till they make someone fall. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. The path of the righteous, verse 18, is like the first gleam of dawn shining ever brighter till the full light of day, but the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. There are, the father insists, at bottom only two ways to go through life the way of wickedness and the way of righteousness. The way of wickedness is one of descent into deeper and deeper darkness, evil and ignorance until your living of life is a horrible image. Like a man stumbling in the dark, terrified, not knowing why he keeps falling over. But the way of righteousness is like the sun coming up ever higher in the morning sky, making your way clearer and clearer. It's a powerful contrast between two kinds of life. And the father says it is wisdom that makes the difference. And so he concludes, pay attention, predictably. Verse 20, my son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. These are the words that will make the difference, he says. And so you've got to hold on to them. And then he explains in more detail what this involves, what it looks like to hold on to them, to pay attention to them and keep them. Verse 23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. It means guarding your heart, that is paying attention to what goes to the centre of your personal existence. It also means avoiding bad speech yourself. Verse 24, really interesting. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. 
And it means, verse 25, being purposeful and careful about what you do and where you are headed. Let your eyes look straight ahead, fix your gaze directly before you, make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. The fundamental picture painted here, and it's painted elsewhere in Proverbs, but here it's really clear, is simple and dramatic. Despite all the variety of choices and personalities and so on in life, all the messiness, there are ultimately only two basic ways upon which we can walk, down which we can travel in life, the way of wickedness and the way of righteousness. Wisdom shows the way of righteousness, which leads to glory. Folly will lead you down the path of wickedness and ruin. Which way you travel on, that is, depends above all on what words you listen to. Whether you are led by and keep in your heart good words, sound learning, clinging to words of wisdom, cherishing them as your most precious possession, or whether you lose touch with wisdom, ignore it, forget it, forsake it, and allow yourself instead to be influenced by strange voices, failing to guard your heart against evil. And this, says the Father, is the great choice that lies before you, my son, and this is the great choice, we're told, that lies before each of us. And it is terrifyingly important. For ultimately, it is a choice between life and death, between saving your soul and losing it. We also see here why tradition can be valuable. Because it can safeguard good words and the right attitude to them. By adding the authority of age and family and community, tradition can be a way of guarding against letting go of wisdom. Do you see how that's what's going on here? The world is full of words of nonsense and evil. The point of tradition, at its best, is to draw attention to and protect words of wisdom by remembering them and by striving to cultivate the right attitude to them. Tradition is meant to safeguard the words that can set us on the path to life. Now, one of the aims of all of this in Proverbs is to introduce the Proverbs to come, some of which we're going to have a look at over the the next few weeks, to, to set them up so that you're ready to listen to them and take them seriously, pay attention to them. Because you know now that they are words of wisdom that will keep you on the right path. Uh, We will turn to these over the next few weeks and we'll turn to them with this in mind that they, we should pay attention. And yet, before we go on, we need to pause because it's not quite as simple as this anymore for us. It's important to notice before we go on that we are not actually in the same position as the sun here. There is something kind of tragic about the call in Proverbs to live wisely. Uh, It comes in, I don't know if you've picked this up, and it's hard to put your finger on, but I think it's really true when we read it 
when we read it today, that is. It comes to us, in a sense, you see, no longer as a joyful possibility, but as a lost opportunity. It, it, it kind of reads like an indictment on us now, on, the failures, on our failures and on the failures of our ancestors, our culture and our traditions. You see, the disclosure of wisdom in Proverbs is, is kind of too remote from us now to be a real possibility for life. That's from a tradition that's a long way back and that is a bit weird and a bit alien and we see that the path has been lost. We can learn from this teaching and that's what we'll be doing over the next few weeks. We can learn from it, we can pick up things but we can't travel this path anymore. We're not really in a position to, we're not like the son who can take these words and they be his guide for life. That's from a past age. We can only observe it from a distance. It can't show us the way to life anymore. And in fact, what Proverbs does actually is to kind of highlight the poverty of our situation. For the fact is, none of us here is an heir to traditions like this. None of us inherits wisdom, this pure. None of us will be able to pass it on to our children. The best traditions we have, the best wisdom we've been brought up with, is at best mixed and messy. And the worst traditions we have are downright rotten filling us with anger and frustration and making us only want to cast them off. But even more than this, even when we do inherit good wisdom, we often fail to appreciate it until it's too late. We don't see the wisdom they contain until we've left them behind. Too late, we realise that we, we, we realize what we have lost and we find ourselves at sea, trying to make our way without any good words to guide us. This is true of our society, our culture, our families, and each of us. We have forsaken wisdom, swerved from its path, let it out of our sight, forgotten, turned to the right or to the left, and now we find ourselves so often, actually, lost in the dark, without a light, not knowing why we keep stumbling, why we keep stuffing it up. And yet, thankfully, that is not the end of the story. Here again, in its funny way, the book of Proverbs gives us a wonderful vantage point from which to view the beauty of what God has given us in Jesus Christ. As the book of Proverbs continues, you may pick this up as, as, as as we keep reading and as you read it, it develops this image of the two ways in a number, with a number of other kind of pictures. Uh, it speaks also uh, of wisdom and folly as like two houses. By wisdom a house is built, says Proverbs 24, and through understanding it is established. And the house of wisdom stands firm, but the house of wickedness does not Proverbs chapter 12 says, The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous stands firm. 
And it also speaks of this happening in the face of storms. Proverbs 10, 25 says, When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. And this is important because, of course, as I hope you will now start to see, these images are actually the background of what Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Our second reading from the New Testament, which I hope you'll turn to now, Matthew chapter 7, it's on page 961. See, Jesus picks up on all these ideas and says something quite profound. He tells us plainly what Proverbs has already told us. That there are ultimately two ways. One which leads to life and one which leads to destruction. Enter through the narrow gate, he says in verse 13. For wide is the gate and broad the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. There are ultimately only good trees and bad trees, those who enter the kingdom of heaven and those who do not. And then in in a conclusion that draws together the images we've discussed, he says this, verse 24, key passage. Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand, The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. What Jesus is saying here is that in his words, through his teaching, through his ministry, wisdom has been disclosed again, fresh and new and uncorrupted. It's not messed up by bad traditions. It's set forth in purity. And so that now before us, once again is opened up the opportunity of living wisely. The chance to build our house by wisdom and to stand firm in the face of the storm. And this possibility, he says, is open to each one of us. Each one of us. Always. See, what is true of Proverbs, that it's really remote, that it's distant, that it, it, can't, it can't be a kind of path for us anymore. It can only be kind of interesting to look at and helpful. That's not true of Jesus' teaching. Jesus' teaching comes to us directly. It speaks to us today. And that's because the one who speaks these words is the one as we saw last week, in whom wisdom was perfected. He is God the Son, through whom and for whom all things were created. Wisdom is about Jesus. It is the imprint in the world of his presence. And so when he comes along, his words speak to us and to our time and to every time. They are an invitation 
to live wisely that reaches each of us even today. But even better than this, that invitation remains open to us despite our failures. Because Jesus is also the one in whom folly has been overcome, foolishness dealt with. I keep, we've, we've said this every week, but I mean, it's crucial. You see, he died in our place to bring forgiveness for our failures, for the ways in which we have forgotten and forsaken wisdom. I mean, who are we kidding if we think that's not true? The ways in which we have followed the way of wickedness. And therefore, for those who trust in Jesus, his invitation here to be wise is never a lost opportunity. No matter how old we are, how much we've stuffed up our life, how big the bad decisions we've made, it is never too late to take up Jesus' invitation to build your house on the rock. Because he died to keep the narrow way open to us. The thief who died beside Jesus on the cross. It's recorded in Luke's Gospel. Jesus is crucified beside two thieves and one of them just insults him and the other one repents and he just says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know the crazy thing that we can say about that? His life, right, was a total catastrophe. He was the guy who, he was a bandit, right? He was the guy who Proverbs uses as an example of an idiot. He'd, he'd fallen in with wicked men, he'd lived by violence, and, he, and he'd come to the end. That awaits that. But because at the end, Jesus is there and he sees him and turns to him, his life is turned into a wise life. He's a wise man at the end. That's the final judgment on his life, built on the rock. It's, the, the invitation is always before us, friends, because Jesus has come and has died and his teaching sets before us a wonderful opportunity. There are, in truth, two ways our lives may go. They may go along the path of righteousness that leads to life or they may swerve away onto the path that leads to death. Left to our own devices, we left the right path ages ago and have no hope of finding it again. But by God's grace in Jesus, the way has been opened to each of us again, and it remains open despite our failures to live wisely, building on a solid foundation. Okay, I spent a long time saying all that, but I think it's important. But let's just finish by asking, where does that leave us tonight? What should we do with this? Well, I think it leaves us with this challenge. How are we going to treat Jesus' words? The question of wisdom comes down, says Proverbs 4, to words. What are you going to do with Jesus' words? We began by noticing how a striking feature of our world today is the proliferation of words, the way we are constantly bombarded with communications, communications, 
In this context, I think it's essential that we hear the reminder of Proverbs chapter 4 to guard good words. You might like to turn back to it as we finish, page 628 again. It says, verse 5, Get wisdom, get understanding, do not forget my words or swerve from them. Verse 13 says, hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for this is your life. And if those exhortations applied to the words of wisdom in Proverbs, how much more do they apply to Jesus' words? How much more is it true that there is nothing more precious than his words? So how are you treating Jesus' words? Our passage in Proverbs reminds us of the kind of attitude that's appropriate to words of wisdom. Verse 20, my son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them. Is that our attitude to Jesus' words? Do we pay attention to them? Do we listen closely? That is, do do you actually give them time and space? Amidst the busyness of life, do you not just know vaguely what Jesus said, but know it in detail? Do we not let them out of our sight? Do we, that is, not let Jesus' words get lost in a sea of other words that we daily have to and choose to attend to? We guard them like precious possessions. Keep them within your heart. Are Jesus' teachings in your heart? That is, are they not just words that you know of, but words that you love? Words that, in a sense, own you. Words that you have allowed to determine who you are. Have you allowed Jesus' words to have that place? I think these are valuable questions because the danger Jesus draws attention to is the danger of hearing but not doing. The difference between wisdom and folly, you see, is is not whether you have some knowledge of Jesus' teachings. The difference is what you do with it. And Proverbs shows us the kind of attitude to words of wisdom that is necessary if you want to do that. It also helps us by reminding us what what it actually takes to put into practice. Jesus says, put them into practice. What does that take? Well, Proverbs helps us. Look at the final verses again. If you want to guard these words, the Father says, then you, you actually need to be careful. Watch your speech. Put away perversity from your mouth, he says. It's a kind of an interesting thought, this one, but I think the thought is, it's worth reflecting on, how we talk actually has an impact on your ability to keep Jesus' teaching. The Father also speaks of looking straight ahead and fixing our gaze. It's about being careful and deliberate. That's what we need to do if we want to cherish words of wisdom. We'll need to be deliberate about it. And above all, we'll need to guard our hearts. That's what we need to keep a close... We need to keep a close watch on what... What words are getting into us? What words are forming us most deeply? Let me ask you to think about a kind of appallingly practical question. How do you think these things should affect your habits and especially your habits of using the internet? 
Proverbs 4 highlights, I think, the dangers the internet poses to our ability to guard Jesus' words. I'm not trying to get you to leave the internet. What does that even mean today? But we just need to think about it, right? The internet presents us with endless opportunities for corrupt talk. It distracts us constantly, making it, from one perspective, more difficult to keep your gaze fixed ahead, straight ahead. Think about that image. Keep your gaze fixed straight ahead. That's hard to do if you keep getting notifications. And most importantly, it bombards us constantly with words and opinions and ideas. Are we guarding our hearts? Finally, there is one more thing I think we should say, which is that Proverbs 4 can also inspire us to build good traditions. Traditions, as we've discussed, are very often a bit crap. Frustrating, oppressive, problematic, wrong. And yet tradition can serve us when it helps guard good words when it draws attention to and highlights wisdom. And we live in a context in which we need more than ever to be able to know which words matter, which are worth attending to and not letting go of. And tradition can be a tool to help us do that. So let's give thanks for traditions we have as a church and as households that keep words of wisdom before our eyes, and let's try to build on them. You might think about how you can build traditions of, say, hearing the Bible into your home life or amongst a close group of friends. If you are a parent now or will be one day, think about how you can begin to kind of teach your children the words of Jesus. There is nothing more valuable we can give those who come after us than the words of Jesus. We might think about how we can build richer habits into the life of our church. Uh, One older Anglican tradition, I'm a bit sorry we don't have anymore, is that you used to read a passage from the Gospels every week, along with the other Bible readings. On the other hand, I think we have some really good traditions. I think we should give thanks for the kind of modern tradition of weekly Bible study. It really is a deeply countercultural practice today to devote so much time and attention to these few weird words in the Bible. But it's a gift to us, that practice. The point, though, is simply that traditions can be a way of guarding good words, and that should inspire us to appreciate them and build them. We live in a world of many words, and yet good words are as rare and as precious as they ever have been. By his grace, Jesus sets before us the chance to live wisely. By hearing his words and putting them into practice, let's be people, let's be families, let's be a community that guard these words diligently that keep them in our heart and hand them on to those who will come after us. For Jesus' words are life to those who find them. Let's pray.
Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus, through whose life and teaching and death and resurrection the way of wisdom has been opened to us again, though we deserved it not and we're really just lost in the dark. We thank you for the reminder of Proverbs 4, of what we should do with words of wisdom, and we ask that you help us by your Spirit to do it, to treasure and cherish these words which are our life. We praise you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.